All right, so hello once again to all of you out yonder in the Cotton Belt in Points Unknown. Uh, we welcome you to another episode of the Cotton Companion Podcast. This is episode 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 14. Uh, today is Friday, March 11. We are a couple of days late recording this thing, but please forgive us. We are neck deep in April issue production, so we are uh, we're doing the best we can. We hope that this podcast finds you doing well um it is cold and rainy outside here in memphis which is the same weather update i gave you two weeks ago it has not been a great time to be outdoors here in memphis but uh we are coming off the gin show this is our first podcast uh we've done since gin show weekend um it was as it always is a real a real production a real event and we had a former publisher here at cotton grower who called uh the mid-south farm and gin show uh, a Ferris wheel short of a county fair, and that's that's pretty apt. Uh, there are, are puppy giveaways. I had gummy worms for breakfast one day. There are kids climbing all over giant farm equipment there. Um, it's it's a blast. I, and I know uh, for my partner Jim here, it's always a family affair. Isn't that right, Jim? Absolutely. It's uh, it's it's something we we always look forward to at our house, primarily because my wife, uh, who works for the Southern Cotton Generous Association, is the person who actually manages the physical activity of the show and uh and both of our kids are usually in to uh to help out and pitch in in different different uh aspects and and yes they were some of the kids that were climbing on the tractors during the show so uh climb up into the cab they nobody caused any damage i haven't gotten any invoices for four hundred thousand dollars yet so that's right i always wonder if those guys who were at the booze like the case guys who have some huge piece of equipment there aren't just like how they're not just chewing their nails the entire time all these kids are running all over oh i think they are i would bet they are too i'm sure they are yeah. when, when, when you look at some when you look at some see some of the looks that you that the parents get as the kids go you know scrambling up those ladders <laughs> you know yeah they're uh they're a little concerned and i understand why yeah it reminds me you know we get uh we still do our cotton kids contest and um Love the Cotton Kids contest. Love the pictures that parents and grandparents send to us. Once in a blue moon, we'll have one of like, you know, some little munchkin doing pull-ups on some, like on the in the undercarriage of some like massive, <laughs> you know, high boy or something, or um, in the cab on what looks like a running piece of equipment. <laughs> and I'm, you know, I have to screen some of those out for safety. Or, or sitting in a in a module building, right? Right, right. Yeah, you know, we have to be wary of, uh, you know, we want to we want to make sure everybody's being safe out there. Yeah, uh, we, we don't like OSHA phone calls. Yeah, we don't want to be the reason. Yeah, we don't want to be the reason for somebody getting in trouble. OSHA calls your, uh, your farm, want to know what these kids are up to. So anyhow, I digress. Uh, we, to be sure, there was a lot of newsworthy happenings uh, that came out of that weekend. I joke around about it being a, a county fair, but I'm... Um, you know, we get a lot of business done there. We enjoy interacting with our readers. Uh, we want to thank all y'all who came up to the booth and, and spent some time with us over that weekend. And uh, like I say, there were a lot of news items that come out of there. Namely, um, one of the big highlights of the weekend for us is always when we sit <coughs> excuse me, when we sit in on the economic update that is delivered annually by Joe Nicosia. Joe is the global cotton lead at Louis Dreyfus Commodities and a true... Uh, uh, just uh, amazing source of knowledge about 
cotton on the global stage. Um, he's always able to weave a, a very coherent narrative out of all of these forces that are shaping our cotton market. Uh, so it's always just a great opportunity for me, uh, I know, to wrap my head around everything at once, to kind of take a big uh, macro view of everything uh, from 20,000 feet up or, or whatever the analogy is. So so I'm going to give you the Cliff's notes of that speech with Jim's help later on in today's podcast. I'll let you know his thoughts uh, on a path forward for row crops in the United States in 2016. Um, after that, Jim is going to bring us an enlightening interview that he conducted with Tim Glenn, who is the president of DuPont and uh, an old acquaintance of yours. Isn't that right, Jim? Absolutely. Uh, so they so they had a, a neat interview um, over the course of that Gin Show weekend. Uh, as y'all are no doubt aware, DuPont is currently uh, in the midst of this merger with Dow, and so Jim uh, is going to kind of explore that angle, how it might affect uh, farming in the year to come, but uh, also just getting uh, Mr. Glenn's ideas about farming in America in 2016. Uh, it's truly a great interview, and, and I know y'all will enjoy it. So... Stick around. We're going to discuss all those things and more. Uh, when we come back after this short break, Jim is going to dive into the most recent news items of the day, and uh, you won't want to miss that. So stick with us, and we will be right back. Cotton Grower Magazine has the honor of saluting exceptional sacrifice and contribution to the cotton industry through our annual Cotton Grower Cotton Achievement Award. Since 1970, Cotton Grower has handed out this distinguished honor to one individual who demonstrates tireless dedication to the cotton industry through involvement, innovation, and leadership in those issues that have a large impact on U.S. cotton as a whole. Achievement Award winners are chosen after extensive research and thoughtful input from around the industry. Cotton Grower offers sincere gratitude to Case IH and to Delta Pine for sponsoring the Cotton Grower Cotton Achievement Award. In joining the effort to recognize and honor industry leaders, these companies demonstrate their devotion to the cotton industry and their desire to see growers succeed. Well, welcome back. As, as Beck said, we're going to go right into uh, some of the news items that, uh, that are currently impacting the cotton industry. Uh, certainly over the last couple of weeks, and some are continuations of, of some of the situations that we've been talking about uh, for several podcasts now. Uh, the first one, uh, sort of the next step in the saga of the cottonseed designation that may or may not actually happen. Uh, there have been some alternatives suggested. There are discussions continuing. Uh, but the latest news comes from our friends over at the National Cotton Council, uh, Reese Langley, their Vice President of Washington Operations, uh, provided an update this week uh, basically say, stating that uh, leadership of the National Cotton Council met early this week or late, or late last week with Secretary Vilsack to discuss uh, the Secretary's proposal to establish a cost share program that would help cover part of a grower's ginning costs. Uh, no one's exactly sure how that program would be set up at this point. Discussions are continuing to try to identify and determine how the program could function and also, more importantly, how much money would be involved to administer that program. Uh, the key point here is the Secretary and the cotton industry are continuing to work together to try to come up with some sort of economic relief package for the industry. 
Uh, obviously, uh, there are no more details at this point. They hope to have some of, the, some of those details and a little bit more information to share as the discussions continue. But quite, you know, those discussions look like they're going to move all the way in through uh, the early planting stage at this point. So stay tuned. We'll see what happens from, from that perspective. Staying with the Washington perspective, uh, this week the uh, USDA Farm Service Agency uh, on their website posted notice CN1054. Uh, that doesn't mean a whole lot in that in just its basic context there, but in that uh, in that notice, uh, growers will find a copy of a letter uh, to cotton growers about the availability of the commodity certificate exchanges and the required forms that growers will need to complete to uh, to sign up for their 2015 crop loans and any other additional funds that might be available. Uh, now, under these new rules. That were uh, that were put in place by USDA earlier, uh, I think last month or month before last. Uh, producers are going to be able to use these commodity certificates to redeem any outstanding 2015 marketing assistance loans, plus convert previously completed cash redemptions that generated a marketing loan gain. Uh, they can convert those to commodity certificate redemptions as well. FSA, the Farm Service Agency, is in the process of mailing these letters to cotton producers, uh, explaining these new provisions, uh, and providing instructions for contacting their county FSA office or their loan servicing agent uh, to get more information or to complete and sign the, the, the necessary forms. Now, one, one thing to keep in mind on this, if you're a cotton grower and you are a member of a cooperative marketing association, you will not be required to sign and submit the, form, the paperwork uh, because your, your marketing association will transact the business regarding anything from the marketing assistance loan on your behalf and they will submit a single form to cover all of, uh, all of their members. Uh, if you are not part of a cooperative marketing association, you will be required to sign and submit the form either at your county FSA office or through your loan servicing agent. So uh, keep an eye on your mailboxes. You're going to be getting a letter from Farm Service Agency that uh, that tells you what to do and, and, and hopefully will help you with, with some of the costs from, uh, from 2015. Our last item today, uh, the folks over in North Carolina, the North Carolina Cotton Producers Association, uh, has set April 1st, no fooling, as uh, as the date for the state's cotton growers to vote on the uh, basically on continuing their assessment or their checkoff on cotton for another six-year period. This happens on a periodic basis uh, among state associations. It happens on a national basis from time to time as well to, uh, to, to get a feel for growers continuing the checkoff program. Funds from those programs obviously cover a lot of different, uh, different aspects for, uh, for the cotton industry. Uh, the North Carolina program uh, basically provides funds to pay for improvements in cotton production, marketing, and research, and to promote general interests of the state's cotton industry. Uh, the referendum will authorize an assessment up to $1 per bale, but the uh, North Carolina Producers Association plans to continue at the current level of $0.80 cents per bale. So, if you're a North Carolina cotton producer, you grew cotton in 2015, and if you intend to plant cotton this year, you are eligible to vote in this referendum. Uh, 
All you need to do is, is go to the county office uh, of the North Carolina Cooperative Extension Service. Uh, between the hours of 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. on April 1, you can cast your vote and, uh, and hopefully keep the, uh, the checkoff program going in your state. Yeah, very good, Jim. That is actually kind of a uh, somewhat smooth transition into this sort of examination of Joe Nicosia's address that he gave at the Mid-South Farm and Gin Show because at the end of this thing, he makes his pitch for U.S. cotton on the global stage and its uh, uh, attractiveness. It creates its own demand largely due to, to some of this research uh, and marketing efforts that Cotton Incorporated and uh, the council have certainly supported, um, which I believe is funded by a lot of these checkoff programs. A lot of it is funded by the checkoff dollars, yeah. yes. So, so, but I don't want to put the cart before the horse here. We'll get there here in a moment. I, I just want to set the stage before I get into this. Every year at the Mid-South Farm and Gin Show, they do an economic update where they invite um, a premier sort of respected speaker to talk to uh, the attendees at this event. Uh, they used to have, which one of the Donovans would do it, Jim? I'm Billy blanking. Donovan. Billy Donovan would do it. And as I understand it, I wasn't around back then, but I mean, it, it was such a, a, this thing is so historically, it was so respected uh, over the years that depending on what Billy Donovan would say, the market could go limit up that day or limit down based on his address. I, d I do recall listening to some of Billy's presentations. Yeah. And this, of course, was, you know, was in a time before cell phones and, uh, you know, electronic communication and all the trading was still done, done you know, by actual people on the, the floor of the New York Cotton Exchange. Uh, it was always interesting to hear what Billy had to say, but then the, the key, at, uh, when he finished, was to move away from the doors of the room as quickly as possible because when he finished, there was usually a stampede of people heading out those doors looking for a phone, pay phone, anything to uh, to call the exchange or to call their, their marketing groups or whatever to uh, to make adjustments or do whatever they wanted to do. Right. Just kind of give a report. It was not, and, and like you said, it, it was not uncommon to see the market blip yeah. based on what he said. Based on what he said at that podium. That's so wild to me. Um, it's all long, part of the good old days. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what in my head. It's like uh, what we see down at the Cotton Museum downtown, where like the uh, <clears throat> wax figures that they have in there as the traders are all like in the they're like '30s guys, right, with the uh, bowler hats on mm -hmm. and a cigarette dangling out of their lip. And it's a little more, little, more, little more modern, modern. than that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not trying to say, oh, Jim, you were there for that, huh? Um, I was close, <laughs> no. But, uh, but no, I did. I, I missed those days. <laughs> right, right. So, so. I've taken us way off course here. I just wanted to give you some context. This is an important address, and it has been through the years, uh, that just sort of gives, uh, it's an economic update. It is It, it sets the uh, stage and the characters of all these forces that are impacting the global market. It, it explains why you guys are staring at 60-cent cotton these days. Um, so, so I want to dig into a little bit of what Joe was saying. Uh, essentially, a year ago, his big analogy was his theme of that speech that he gave last year was life can be peaceful under the volcano, right? And, and what he meant by that was the Chinese have stockpiled all of these reserves, but it's just sitting there in purgatory. It's not affecting anything. And so 
we were sort of operating in the shadow of these huge reserves they had, but it wasn't affecting us. So it was like a dormant volcano that wasn't really smoking. This year, that's not the case. Um, the volcano has erupted. I have, I'm right, just as an FYI, I'm writing the story, uh, the cover story of our April issue on the speech that Joe gave, and it's killing me whether or not I should t- give it a headline of Joe Curses the Volcano, <laughs> which is a, a Tom Hanks pun that probably I'm the only person in the country would find funny. So um, anyhow, I won't do that, but that's what he's doing. He's He is lamenting over the course of this speech that that volcano is starting to erupt. Uh, China is starting to come off of some of these reserves, and it's having a negative uh, impact on cotton prices. Um, uh, it's just starting to do so. I mean, we, we gave a report, I think, two pods ago, about how there were rumors that China was right. about to unload a big chunk of these reserves. Absolutely, and, and the market is really has has reacted. You know, when when the first news came out, the market dropped a little bit. The price dropped a little bit. I think we you know slipped down below sixty cents, which is where we've stayed mm-hmm. with this since uh, since that point. And everybody's just kind of waiting. And even though there are rumors that China may make an announcement on this date nothing happens or if they may make an announcement on this date nothing happens uh, as I think as our as our friend O.A. Cleveland aptly put it during uh, during a discussion at, at the Gin Show China doesn't make announcements they uh, about what they're going to do they uh, they spread rumors yeah. about what they're going to do they'll float it out there they'll right? float it out there but yeah. they'll never put any specifics on there in terms of, of when it's going to happen right so so this year, to keep with his with Joe's last year, it was the volcano. This year's natural disaster uh, analogy that he's using is that of a flood. He said, the, "This year we have this idea of a flood. There's all this. Uh, China is flooding the market with cotton. Prices are suffering as a result." I found it a little bit. He was taking an optimistic viewpoint of it because, uh, and we'll get into why in a in a bit. But he said, "You know, it will recede. The waters will recede." And at that point, we'll take a look around and see who's left, right? So, and and I know that you guys understand what he means by that. I mean, so many people are, are pulling out of cotton this year, and that is uh, the market doing its job, which he made a a, a point of talking about. Uh, the market is telling the world, don't plant cotton. And in America, unfortunately, if you're Cotton Grower Magazine, uh, unfortunately, if you own a gin or a $500,000 cotton picker, um People aren't planting as much cotton this year, but it's a necessary evil, was Joe's message. Uh, that's the market doing its job. It's telling people don't plant cotton while we right-size this stock situation. And uh, we're seeing that around the, gro- uh, around the globe. China is actually reducing acreage more se- severely than the U.S. I mean, there are estimates that they're only going to plant about 7.5 million acres this year, uh, compared to a lot of estimates in the U.S. that pegged the U.S. at just north of 9 million. Um, India is reducing their production incrementally, although if I read correctly, they still produce uh, almost three times as much cotton as the U.S. I mean, they do. So they're the, world, they're the world's largest cotton producer at this point. Right. So, so they have room to draw back more. We would like to see them draw back more, but for various reasons, they're not. So, uh, if there is a path to price recovery, Joe uh, made a point to outline it. Uh, that is. To put it in as simple terms as I can in this Cliff's Notes version, that China produces less than it con- consumes internally over the course each year over the next five years. Uh, prices will then begin to recover incrementally in relation to that sort of inversion of 
China consuming more than it produces. Um, the the takeaway that I took from that and this, he put up a slide that had his projections of where Chinese production and consumption have been over the past probably four years, and then it also projected over the course of the next four, and things were getting better in his Allenberg's projections in China each year over the next four years. I mean, they're talking about having a, a consumption deficit, meaning they're consuming more than they produce by about 15 million bales uh, on average over the course of the next four years to draw their stocks down to manageable level. That That is, number one, that is the course to correcting these terrible prices. Number two, sort of the inherent underlying message there is that we found the bottom. I know that's not comfortable or, or just wonderful news for everybody out there, but it sure sounds like what he was suggesting is that 2016, it, we're not going to keep sinking after that. We're not going to languish lower after this. you got to hit rock bottom before you can turn back up, right? Um, and so that was sort of his underlying message when when he was explaining all that. I hate to phrase it like this, but if there is a Schadenfreude silver lining here, <laughs> this policy that China had put in place that is wreaking so much havoc on American cotton growers, it's going to wind up costing them about $20 billion, uh, according to Joe, because, you know, they bought a lot of this cotton, especially the ones, uh, this cotton internally from their own producers at like $1.20 a pound, and now they are having a very difficult time finding a buyer for it when it's not, you know... Uh, when it's not priced just dirt cheap, OA had a funny line at uh, we held a, our common thread uh, event sponsored by Delta Pine at uh, the Gin Show, and we had OA speak from the podium, and he was talking about how the Chinese. A lot of people don't think the Chinese are going to be able to find a home for this cotton that's been sitting in reserve for so long, and he says, uh, you know, it, the quality is very bad, and he goes, you know, uh, I think of my the way I drink wine. Uh, I, I'll be a real snob about the, the quality of the wine I'm drinking, but if you price it low enough, I'll drink. It. I'll go ahead and take it. Yeah. So he, he, he phrased it uh, in a more clever way, in, in a very OA. It was an OA-ism, to be sure. Well, and I think his, ta- his, you know, his, his takeaway on that or his analogy on that is it doesn't matter how cheap that cotton is or, or what the quality is going to be. If the price is right, somebody's going to take it and somebody's going to spin it. Right. And they may they may blend it with some other higher quality cotton or newer cotton uh, to see what they can come up with. But it's it's going to get consumed one way or the other by someone. Correct. So so his his point was made. Uh, the Chinese are going to find a home for this very low quality cotton, uh, but they're going to take a big hit on it. Um, little consolation to you growers out there who are staring at sixty cent cotton, but. They're going to suffer under this policy that you're suffering under, too. Uh, For U.S. growers, Joe's sort of strategy that he outlined for 2016, and here I'm quoting directly from a a slide that he put up uh, that I took a picture of. Number one was conserve your capital uh, where you can. Number two, he thinks 58 cents for December cotton is cheap. Uh, Number three, if you want cotton in your marketing plan, he says you should think about buying December calls. And number four, um... If the U.S. does indeed produce a small crop, as a lot of people are projecting, it, it will be undervalued today, meaning that, in other words, uh, it'll be priced better at harvest time than what we're staring at here in late winter in 2016. Uh, he, and, and here's to tie this back to the checkoff program that Jim mentioned earlier. 
He said the U.S. does have inherent advantages. U.S. cotton does have inherent advantages on the global market, uh, namely its the sustainability uh, aspect of it, the, the gains that we have made, and this message that Cotton Inc. has been at the forefront of shouting from the mountaintops to the world, uh, that nobody produces cotton more sustainably in a more green fashion, um, better than the United States. And also this idea of traceability. You know, we brought you guys an interview with, um, oh, what was their Applied DNA Sciences mm -hmm. two or three episodes ago. I actually heard Joe speak a couple of days after the Gin Show, and he mentioned that company by name and, and the service that traceability provides, the advantage that it gives to U.S. cotton over other countries. And again, these are things that the council, that Cotton Incorporated, has been uh, instrumental in bringing to U.S. cotton. So, you know, I know you guys, it, it's tough to see it right now, the way prices are, but these things are going to bring value. They, they are giving U.S. cotton a fighting chance on the, on the world market because, as Cotton Inc. has been saying for years, consumers are becoming more discerning. They want to know how their cotton was produced. They want to know where it came from. They want to know that, you know, ch child labor wasn't, wasn't used. They want to know that, uh, you know, it was done so sustainably. So anyhow, you do have that sort of aspect of your marketability that gives you a puncher's chance on the global market. So I want to cut, cut it off there. That's my, if that's the Cliff's Notes, the book must have been Moby Dick, right? I mean, that's absolutely, or War and Peace, but, right, uh, right. but I think just to, just to, Added something else to to what you were saying here. This is what Joe has been saying is not new. He's been saying this for three or four years, in terms of, in order to get this market back to where it needs to be, we're going to have to go through a pretty rough period, and that rough period just keep has been held off and held off and held off uh, because of China's decisions or or non decisions over the last few years. This is the year of is you know that, that we're going to see what's going to happen we're going to get things moving in the right direction but the optimistic message like you said is once we get through this year things should start moving and improving uh, for the US market and for for the world market and just to put in a you know a quick cheap plug you know for the April issue of cotton grower that, that we are currently working on and hope to have finalized here in the next few days uh, is really focusing on that general theme, sort of like looking for light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, obviously, from an economic perspective, uh, like Beck mentioned with with Joe's message, uh, but also one of the uh, one of the articles does focus on some of the work that Cotton Incorporated is doing. Uh, and and just to to throw a, uh, just a quick tease or preview in there, Mark Masura, who's their vice president of global uh, global and retail marketing uh, also made a presentation during the gin show and one of the things that uh, that he pointed out was several years ago when cotton hit two dollars and everybody all the, we were all happy and feeling great about it he said reality was that was the very worst thing that could happen to the US cotton industry because the retailers the brands the mills the people who who we rely on to use cotton looked at it and said it's too expensive and we're going to go find cheaper alternatives, and they did. They went and found, you know, polyester prices are traditionally 20, 21, 25 cents cheaper than cotton. Even at the price cotton is right now, it's still too expensive compared to polyester. Uh, 
So Cotton Incorporated's work with some of their technologies and some of their programs, uh, he says really and truly what you have to keep in mind is decisions on apparel which eats up 80% of all cotton used, those decisions are made at a retail or brand level 16 to 24 months before you see the clothing in the stores. That's like trying to turn a battleship Yeah. at this point. He says, now we're starting to make inroads into getting more cotton into fabrics and getting it into different types of, of leisure wear or athletic wear, but it is a very methodical process knowing that you have almost a two-year lead time before anything you can visibly see anything or hold anything in a store. So, uh, But again, he's optimistic, and that's part of, uh, again, of, of the, the cover story that we're, we're all working on uh, in terms of just hang in there because there are better times coming. Absolutely, and uh, that was that was Joe's message if you if you uh, discerned enough of it. You know, he throws so much data at you over the course of this uh, speech that he gives, and he'll mix in a joke cartoon slide every now and again. He's a great orator. Yes. Um, but you had to really have a uh, discerning ear to pick up on the fact that he was saying, you know, it's... Uh, this is a, this is okay. Yeah, like, like you'll get through it, you yeah. know. Um, good times are ahead. So, uh, anyhow, again, that's, a, that's our long-winded deep dive into uh, Joe's speech that was given at the Mid-South Farm and Gin Show. We will have more on that speech. As Jim mentioned, uh, that's the cover story of our April issue. Uh, so you'll want to keep an eye out for that when it hits your mailboxes the second week of April, I believe. I don't know why I'm looking at a calendar. It won't tell me. Um, just keep an eye out for it. Uh, for now, we want to take a short break. On the flip side of that, uh, we're going to bring you Jim's interview that he conducted with DuPont President Tim Glenn. Uh, again, it's very enlightening. You won't want to miss that. So stick with us. We will be right back. I guess at, at this point, you know, everybody's looking to, at the markets, not mm -hmm. just the cotton market, yeah. you know, which we focus on, but obviously corn, soybeans, grains, everything. Um, Southern agriculture has been in worse shape, but I don't know a lot of people will acknowledge that yeah. going into this year. From your company perspective, how do you see this market? How do you see, what are you hearing from growers? Mm -hmm. What do you see the market needs are, and, and what do you see DuPont's role in that? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, the if you if you look back at, by historic standards, you'd sit there and say, well, you know, 350, 375 corn, not the end of the world, or $9 soybeans, 850 soybeans, not the end of the world. But from where we've come, it's a really tough, right. tough journey. And, um, you know, we had uh, some extraordinary, events that kind of created a, a window of time there where we had very, very high commodity prices. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we had a couple weather events, we had some uh, couple acts of Congress around the renewable fuel standards, and it drove um, commodity prices, you know, quite high. And, you know, the markets reacted. Uh, we were able to, and, and on a global basis, not just in a, in, from a U.S. perspective, you know, the markets responded and, you know, we uh, uh, were able to rapidly um, 
you know, re replenish the stocks after uh, after dragging down stocks for several years, and now we're building stocks, and so um, you know that transition period is is very very difficult. And you know, I look at this as a transition period. Um, you know, you, you think about the the long term fundamentals uh, for for our markets are still very positive. Um, you know, the drivers of demand are real, mm -hmm. and um, you know we're just in a period of time now where we've got a period of of uh, of abundance and, um, and and as the markets have responded and so you would expect the markets will respond again by sending signals and the, the growers responding appropriately you know we're, we're still very optimistic um, you know I think for 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 you know for us as, as an organization or our customers uh, in the in the in the south or around the world you know everyone's got to prioritize where they make their investments mm -hmm. and um, you know I think the uh, uh, you know, customers are you know signal to us is that you know that they they need some help. Um, you know, they've got to they've got to make sure that the decisions that they make are the ones that are going to help drive value for them. You know, generally speaking, um, you know the feedback we get from customers, you know, even though they're they're very conscious of the of the the cost of inputs, is that they realize that they still have to invest in the in the crop in order to get the yields right. that allow them to um, you know make the best returns that they possibly can. And so they're going to question. Every decision, they're going to make sure that they're making the right choices. Um, you know where where there's where there's opportunities to kind of manage that cost. I think they'll do it, but but we don't sense that the market is making this wholesale adjustment and you know cutting corners. Mm -hmm. um, you know it's still very you know to, to to drive those returns. They're still going to need high yields and they're going to have to make good um, decisions. And so you know we're working hard with with our customer with the farmer customers as well as our channel partners and you know consultants that we would have here would be great examples sure. to help get the information in the hands of customers so that they can make the best decisions mm -hmm. that, that ultimately will help them get through this period when you know it's going to be returns are tough um, it's it's uh, um, it's not easy right now no. and so um, you know making those good decisions you know up front as you plan your crop through the season and then ultimately as they market that crop it's going to be critical mm -hmm. I know I've, I've sent on several presentations over the last couple of weeks from uh, from some of the university extension specialists, weed specialists, mm -hmm. insect, you know, entomologists, and, and and it's really it's a it's a, a nice <coughs> universal message from these folks. It's like there are things that you can do to control your costs, but there are certain things that you just have to do. Mm -hmm. And in fact, last week uh, I heard one one person, one extension specialist, saying on your budget items. You need to pick weed and insects need to be one, <laughs> one budget item. You cannot break them out separately mm -hmm. anymore because these are the have-to-haves. Mm -hmm. And you know, by maybe adjusting this and adjusting that, maybe you can maybe you can save a spray here. Yeah. Maybe you can save an irrigation here. And things like yeah, that. I think you know farmers have to be very conscious, and I think that you know there were, there were things maybe a few years ago that you would you would have planned you know kind of a prophylactic or or right. a preventative type approach. Where today maybe it's more of a pay as you go. Um, you know maybe it's going to be instead of getting out trying to get out in front of everything, um, maybe you're going to do more scouting and spraying, and and um, you know if if depending upon how. The season develops and what the what the pressures are, whether it's a you know pest insect pests or whether it's disease, you know you might be able to manage it a little bit differently. But it's uh, you know you can't avoid it. I mean you know you plant that crop and you cut corners or or have insufficient uh, weed control. Mm -hmm. 
that's going to cost you. Well, and, and, and we know that. And, oh, yeah, and, and on and the insect side, yeah. you know, that one spray that, you know, you know, might seem like it's a luxury can make the difference between, uh, you know, profit or a loss sure. on, that, on that crop. And in this market, you know you're going to be dealing with Palmer. <clears throat> Palmer Pigweed. You know in the Mid-South and to the, in the Southeast to a certain extent, you're going to be dealing with plant bugs. Yep. Uh, yep. You know, and... Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's what I mean. It's got to feed into the crop decisions that the, that the customers are making, and um, you know you're just not going to cut corners. And, mm -hmm. and you know, virtually every every uh, environment. I mean, we've got some unique pressures here, uh, but but um, doesn't matter if you're in the in the mid south or the southeast or, or in the Midwest. I mean, they they have those same types of decisions exactly. that, that that they've got to make as well. And um, you know, when you know, we've got a lot of data that supports the fact that. Um, that uh, you know, m not doing some of those uh, some of those treatments is going to cost you far more in the long run, and, right. and, and our customers are aware of that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they again they, they, they should absolutely question everything. You know, you, you you start at the start. You know, you go to the beginning and you go to the end, and you figure out every step along the way, every decision you make, and you need to make sure that you're making the best possible decision. Um, but uh, you know, often and, 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 and you know, it will adjust, adjust behaviors, impact behaviors. And we we expect that. Mm -hmm. um, but um, in the end, you know, there's fundamentals of agronomy that uh, that are absolutely critical. You got to have the right fertility. You've got to have the right weed control. You've got to control your pests and your diseases through the season. Mm -hmm. And um, you know you can't cut corners in, in right. those areas. And you just keep your fingers crossed that some of the pressure is not as bad. Yeah. And the environmental aspects allow you to you know maybe yeah. knock something off at uh, yeah absolutely that you that you had planned. That would, yeah, and, that's and, always and great. if you can do that, and and again rather than it sort of being going on autopilot, and and it, and for a few years it kind of felt like it was on autopilot, mm -hmm. where you know virtually everything you did. Could generate a return when you had very high commodity prices. You know, today you got to you got to really understand what those trade-offs are. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, changing changing topics just briefly, and, and I realize it's something we could probably just, <coughs> we're looking at from a general perspective mm -hmm. at this point. Uh, the news came out last year, late last year, that Dupont and Dow Chemical uh, are merging together into one company. Mm -hmm. That then will break into three separate business unit, agriculture being one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, within the past week, there's been some information released in terms of the site structure, the physical structure of what the ag group will look like. Can you kind of give me a little little background mm -hmm. on that? And, and on, the, on the site on specifically? The, on the site specific. Yeah, so I mean, it, you know, it's uh, it, it, it's uh, really harkens to kind of the, the heritage and history of the organizations. And, and, you know, as we looked at what our footprint needs to be, and, and you know, this is sort of the three big centers, but you, but you can imagine, you know, we're distributed around the world. Exactly. And so, you know, in every every market, every country, we're gonna have to go through the same process and, 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 and figure out what our what our footprint will be. But but in the US, I mean, you know, when we, when, the way we laid it out was that we're gonna have one corporate uh, primary corporate center, and that's going to be in Wilmington, Delaware. Mm -hmm. And you know, Dupont has been uh, uh, you know a very important part of Delaware for um, 
over 200 years, our you know our entire existence. Um, we've got some tremendous resources there, and um, there's some real good business reasons why it makes sense for us to maintain that corporate uh, presence there in Wilmington. And then when you look at uh, the other two sites that we uh, identified last week, uh, we've got Johnston, Iowa, which has been you know historic center for the pioneer business, and then we have Indianapolis, Indiana, which has been Dowager Sciences Global Global Headquarters um, since they. Uh, did their uh, their uh, venture with with Elanco uh, back in the late 80s, <clears throat> and uh, you look at the facilities, you look at the capabilities that we've got at all these sites, and also the connectivity back to the markets and the customers, and, and it really makes sense for have the, for us to have this type of a footprint. Um, you know, again, building off of our investments, um, building off of our capabilities and, and strong connection into the marketplace. And, and so, you know, that's kind of the, the, the you know, I guess, the high-level decision. And, and, you know, from there, again, we have to figure out, you know, ultimately where the work get done. And, and uh, I think it's important that, that folks don't draw the conclusion that says, well, seed's all going to be done over here or crop protection is all going to be done over here and it's just going to be, you know, kind of corporate headquarters. We, we really have to do the work to figure out what, ultimately, right. um, you know, where people will be physically located and what work will be done at each location. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, very early in the process mm -hmm. of, of, of sorting that out. Well, I, you know, you, you look, I looked at the announcement and you basically go, okay, here's step one. Yep. Because now that, now that you know where these centers are going to be, the next, the next eye you cast down is like, okay, both companies have research facilities all across yep. the country, research stations, and particularly as we know in the cotton market. Uh, you know, Central Mississippi is you know, headquarters for most every company with something, and Texas is becoming more important uh, in a lot of markets. The Midwest, obviously, for the corn and soybeans and things like that. And I know you got yeah. a lot of decisions to make on, on yeah. those and, and what you're going to do with those. Yeah. And, and ultimately, I mean, if that's going to be, um, you know, over the coming months, sure, um, you have to go through and do the evaluation and, and figure out what your site. Uh, footprint is and and uh, understand you know where they're additive or overlap where they overlap and 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 then you know at the appropriate time work through those uh, mm -hmm. types of decisions but I mean that's kind of far off uh, in the distance at this point in time um, you know it's really important to kind of get this uh, cleared up so that um, you know each of the communities obviously had a significant interest in mm -hmm. understanding what our presence was going to be and you know the response we've gotten from those communities has generally been very positive um, you know they they appreciate the commitments that we're making and and you know employees obviously uh, while they don't have all information you know they appreciate the fact that mm -hmm. that um, you know there's more information out there today uh, to help understand what this organization is going to look like in sure. the future absolutely yeah. well you know first blush when you sit back and look at the, the the product lines or the options from both companies you know I see some overlap but not a whole lot just from a layman's mm -hmm. perspective uh, one of the parts that obviously from our from the cotton perspective we get excited about is the possibility of seeing you guys in the cottonseed business at some point I know there's no decision set mm -hmm. on that but you know I think it would It'd be, it'd be great for the market. Yeah, and you know Dow's been Dow's been very successful uh, in the in the in the cotton business, uh, cotton seed business. Certainly, uh, both uh, Dowger Sciences and Dupont Crop Protection both have been uh, serving the cotton farmer for many years, and um, and you know it's still a very important segment for us going forward. But but you know clearly, you know when you think about the two companies coming together, and and you know what the potential could be for you know developing you know better products, better services.
services and, and ultimately, you know, having uh, reaching that customer and 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 and, uh, and and serving them more effectively. I mean, that's really what it's all about. And, and what what excites us is, you know, the opportunity for us to innovate and to develop better services and and, and really support our customers as as they. Uh, um, as, as they go forward. Sure. So that's really the exciting part. Yeah. So basically, if anybody who's interested, like, stay tuned. There's more. Stay coming. tuned. There's there is a lot more to there's come. There's a lot more coming. But but it is. It's and, and it really is. I think you you touched on the right point. Um, you know, we we see this as being very additive. Um, our ability to operate in the future and innovate and develop better service, better products, better services, and ultimately support our customers better is mm -hmm. is where the value is in this. And uh, we think that we think that uh, you know. Being a you know an agricultural uh, entity, uh, really focused on, on on serving our global agricultural markets while operating very locally, um, is going to be very beneficial to our customers. Sounds great, Tim. Yep. Thank you for uh, for your time. Absolutely. And for the conference. So, all right, that will just about do it for this installment of the Cotton Companion Podcast. We want to thank you sincerely for joining us. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, by all means, tell your farmer buddies about us uh, when you're having coffee in the morning and you're struggling for something to conversate about. Tell them about the Cotton Companion Podcast, why don't you? Um, it, they can go, you can go, uh, find our podcast when you're telling them about us. You can find it in three easy ways. Number one, go to cottongrower.com, see the search bar at the top of the page, type Cotton Companion into that thing, and you it will bring you to a page that has all of our previous episodes archived there. Uh, number two, you can subscribe to our channel on iTunes. If you're familiar with iTunes, you got it on your smartphone, just go ahead and uh, search for Cotton Companion there. You'll find us. Subscribe to our channel. And if you've gone that far, go ahead and leave us a rating. Let us know what you think of our podcast. Another third, the third, and another great way to be sure you receive each installment of the Cotton Companion is to sign up for our weekly uh, e-newsletter. Jim here works hard to pack all of the relevant news of the day into those things, and they hit your mail, your email inbox uh, every Tuesday morning, uh, and occasionally on Thursdays as well. So. You can do that by going to cottongrower.com. You scroll to the bottom of the page. You will see a link there at the bottom to subscribe to our e-newsletter. You won't regret it, I promise. It's the best way to stay informed on all the events that are happening in your world. So, uh, Also, please make sure to follow us on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you can find us by simply searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. Give us a follow. Uh, we hope that you are enjoying our latest issue. Today's the 11th, so March should be hitting your mailboxes as we speak, right? March issue is now in mailboxes. There you go. So, um, so yeah, we hope you enjoy it. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's a good one. Now, uh, so this podcast is produced by Mark Antonelli. He works at the mothership, Meister Media Worldwide, in lovely Willoughby, Ohio. My name is Beck Barnes, and I will be back with you in two weeks for the next episode of The Cotton Companion. For now, on behalf of my own Cotton Companion, Jim Stebman, we wish you and your farm all the best. <laughs>